So um, today's lesson may not be the funniest story in Scripture, but it's it's got to be right up there. Um, I think I think it's fair to say it is the funniest important story in the Scriptures, um, or certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, because it is funny. Uh, you know, we don't think about you know if if somebody talks about you know um, the the plagues of Egypt, probably the frogs are not the first one that comes to mind. We think of the the river uh, of blood or or um, the the final uh, terrifying uh, plague at the end of this uh, this sequence of stories but the frogs are like a, a period of comic relief almost as as we kind of uh, get ready for some really dark things that are coming down the road at us it's a it's it's like a, a moment of uh, release of the tension so it is an important story um, but uh, it is a funny story, but it is also an important story. And I've wondered if if the reason that this doesn't appear in children's um, uh, uh, Sunday school lessons and so forth, uh, you know, we get we get the story of David and Goliath. We get the story of of uh, the the crossing the Red Sea. We get the story of of um, uh, we get all those stories. Uh, Noah, Noah and the Ark. We get we get the children's stories. But for, for some reason, the one about the frogs doesn't appear in children's uh, lessons very, very regularly. And I've wondered if the reason for that is because of the lesson. The lesson is an important lesson that is for grown-ups. And maybe it makes gr- grown-ups feel uh, a little uncomfortable when we go there. Because, because it is a lesson about being present in the moment. We're in a series of lessons uh, where we're looking at uh, the idea of uncluttered lives and how spiritual disciplines help us to unclutter our lives. And we began by looking at Sabbath keeping. And the, the thing we learned about Sabbath keeping is it's not something we do to make God love us. Sabbath is a gift from God so we can have uncluttered lives. There can be at least one day of the week that we can have um, uh, some peace and some space to kind of mentally spread out and relax. So we looked at that. We also looked at um, uh, sleep. Uh, we looked at the idea that sleep is a gift from God, that God does not, um, is not unhappy when we sleep. God actually loves to watch his children rest. Um, and if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. We looked at the idea of forgiveness. And the idea of forgiveness is that it's not something we do so that God will love us. It's something we do because we want to be like God who is a forgiving God. God doesn't want us to have to carry the burden of, of anger and resentment around with us. So we forgive in order to be like our forgiving God. And finally, we looked at the idea of prayer, specifically the type of prayer that we do when we don't know um, we don't know what we can do. When we've done everything we can do, there's nothing we can do to face particular problems. We pray and give them to God, that we have we have a Lord who fights our battles for us, and we don't have to carry that burden either. So we've looked at these different types of spiritual disciplines um, that are designed to give us simpler and less cluttered lives. And today we're going to look at um, a discipline around being present in the moment. And this is something that is very difficult for us because we live in a culture that is obsessed with the idea of multitasking. We think we can do, we think we can do everything and do it well. I see uh, people every, every day, uh, nearly every day, I see people dropping off their kids or picking up their kids over at the preschool. And I, I am, I, I just shake my head. Um, and I'm judging them, and I shouldn't, uh, because I used to do the same kind of thing. But they'll be reading their cell phones, or they'll be talking on their cell phones when, you know, they're greeting their kid after a long day or something. And I just think to myself, that's too bad. And again, I know I'm judging, but, but I really shouldn't be, because I used to do the same thing. We didn't have, we didn't have the smartphones back in those days, but, but I was doing things that distracted me from being present when I was with my kids. And if I could talk to them, you know, I don't generally give advice to people I don't have a, some kind of a relationship with. You know, there's enough pastors who do 
that. I, I figured that one out. But um, <laughs> but if I was to give them advice, I would say, I, I wouldn't tell them don't do that. I would say the time you invest with your children, the time you invest in these moments is worthwhile. You won't regret it later on. Um, when I look back on uh, you know the things that were going on 20 or 19 years ago, uh, those are the moments that I treasure, and it's not the thing I was doing with the cell phone. So, um, or uh, whatever I honestly, I'm trying to remember. I listen to the radio a lot, so watch TV. So, um, so I don't remember those things, but I do remember the moments with my kids, and so I would encourage them with that. But we do a lot of multitasking. We think that we can get away with it. We think we can do multitasking. Um, and I'm here to tell you, not as a pastor, but as somebody with a degree in computer science, we really can't. Computers can't multitask very well either. And you know this because you've seen, you've seen these, right? So, so, so um, even computers aren't as good at multitasking as we think they are. So if you've ever, if you've ever had your computer just kind of give up and say, you know what? You've got too many tabs open. You've got too many apps running. And I'm just going to take some me time. Um, <laughs> then you know you're probably not as good at multitasking as a computer, and even computers aren't so great at it. So what I want to do is I want to look at this um, this lesson because uh, computer people, what computer people call this is thrashing, um, that if you've got um, more to do than you have time to do it in, you're thrashing. And so what computers do, they're pretty smart. They say, well, I have to do it now, and so they just tell us to wait. But what we do is we say, well, I can somehow make it all work. I, I can multitask my way out of this problem, and usually that doesn't work. So um, so what I want to do is I want to look at this lesson from um, from Chapter 8. And again, I think it is uh, designed to be comic. I think that the reason that it's put here in this is to give us some some release from the tension of, of this story. Um, but what has gone on is um, the, it says the Lord says to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, go back. He's already been to Pharaoh twice. So he went to Pharaoh the first time and said, the Lord says, let my people go so they can go out into the desert and worship me. And Pharaoh says, you know what, I'm familiar with a complete uh, pantheon of Egyptian gods, and I don't remember any of them named Yahweh. And besides, your desert god only is important out in the desert. And so as long as I keep you here in Egypt, your desert god doesn't have any impact on me. So no, I will not let your people go. So then um, Aaron throws down his staff and he does some miracles. But uh, Pharaoh has magicians on his staff. So he says, hey, you all come over here. And they do the same miracles. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh became stubborn and said, no, I will not let your people go. So they come back to him the next day. And the next day they say, okay, if you if you didn't like the, the trick with the snake and the, the staff, well, I've got another trick for you. I'm going to turn the river of Nile into blood. And so for a period of time, the, the river ran red as blood. And uh, all the drinking buckets and everything else, everything turned to blood. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so they come back. Now in chapter 8, the Lord says to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. God is not even asking at this point to let them go permanently. He's just saying, let them go out into the wilderness and they'll have a, they'll, they'll be there for a few days and they'll worship me. And he says, if you don't do that, um, then I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. They will come up out of the river into your palace, um, into, uh, into your palace, even into your bedroom and onto your bed. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. So just 
kind of pause and picture this this scenario. So um, the story kind of skips ahead there. Presumably Pharaoh said no again, and then we read that uh, Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. So uh, I guess the first question is, why frogs? And scholars actually have given a lot of thought to this question, why frogs? Um, uh, some people say it's because frogs were... Uh, ubiquitous. Uh, Egypt is basically a thin strip of river with desert on both sides. So there's a lot of wetlands. It's important that they they have the the water to irrigate their fields and so forth. So people would have seen frogs all the time. And they would have said, "Yeah, we know about frogs. There's nothing more harmless than a frog." So maybe that's the reason. Uh, other people say that a frog is an object of contempt. They're, they would be to an Egyptian kind of like a, a cockroach for us or something. It would just be this kind of icky thing that people wouldn't want to have. Maybe it's that. Other people say, no, 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 you don't understand that the frog is important. So here's a guy from um, the 1880s, an Egyptian scholar, Wallace Budge. And he says, the great antiquity of the cult of the frog is proved by the fact that each of the four primeval gods he Kek, Nau, and Amin is depicted with the head of a frog, which I did not know. Um, the cult of the frog is one of the oldest in Egypt, and the frog god and the frog goddess were believed to have played very prominent parts in the creation of the world. So maybe this is kind of saying, you may not have heard of Yahweh before, but um, he's heard of you and he's heard of your gods, and by the time this is done, you'll be sick of frogs. So maybe that's the idea. Or maybe frogs are just comic. You know, I see these things a lot today. You know, there's there's all these frog memes, and I don't know what's magical about frogs, but I think that they're just somehow, they they just uh, lend themselves to memes somehow. So um, we have frogs in our in our culture too, and maybe maybe it's just that frogs are a comic thing, and I think maybe that's the case because we get we get um, some more we get some more humor here in a minute. It says the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic; they too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Now you have to stop and think. This is a problem. You've got frogs in your, in your, in your dishes, okay? You've got frogs in your bed. And the magicians, in order to prove that this god isn't all that important, duplicate the problem, okay? They, they make it even worse. Uh, but what the magicians should have been doing is sending the frogs away, but they don't. The magicians send the, uh, make the, even more frogs come up. So, so, uh, this time Pharaoh decides that, okay, well, the magicians are not the answer to my problem. So, so um, uh, there, there's a little lesson here. Maybe um, uh, I think a lot of people, if you think you've done something wrong, you know, uh, you know, I think the pop culture idea is: let's suppose you do something and you just know that that was really not what you should have done. You 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 are ashamed and you glad not not many people saw it, and you just think, you know, this is the place where God zaps me with a lightning bolt. Well, uh, I think the lesson here is God is not limited to lightning. You know, if God decides to bring the hammer down on you, right? And I'm not sure about that theology anyway. But let's suppose that God wants to bring the hammer down. He's not limited to lightning. He may he may hit you with a, a stack of feathers or a plague of frogs. You know, that there are other tools that God has. You know, he's a very creative God, and he can come up with better solutions than always with the lightning. So so don't don't be dodging lightning. Just be thinking, maybe I shouldn't do those things that... That I know I'm going to be ashamed of. So, so uh, God is not limited to lightning, and uh, Pharaoh is tired of the frogs. So he summons Moses and Aaron and begs, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. He says, "I will let your people go, so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord." And Moses says, "You set the time." Uh, in in the the 
uh, reading I did this week, I found that uh, Moses actually uses some very flowery language. He says it would be a great honor for you to pick the time or something like that. So uh, anyway, Moses basically says, it's all up to you. He says, you pick whatever time you want, and I will, I will pray to God on that, on that occasion. And what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh says, do it tomorrow. John Ortberg says that tomorrow is the most dangerous word in the English language. Because what we do is we say, tomorrow I can watch the kids. Tomorrow I can have a conversation with my spouse. Tomorrow I can be present when my boss is talking to me. Tomorrow I can do all those things. But right now I'm trying to multitask. Tomorrow is the most dangerous word in the English language. Now look, we don't know what, what else Pharaoh was dealing with. You know, uh, you know, picture yourself. You're the, you're the king of Egypt. You know that the, um, the, the sea peoples are going to be invading in 1177. You've got the uprising down in Nubia. You've got the, the cost overruns on the pyramid. You know, you've got all kinds of things that you're trying to deal with in your life, right? So, so we understand, right? We, we can totally put ourselves in, in Pharaoh's position. You know, I understand why he's got a lot on his mind and he's thinking, well, maybe I should just take care of the frogs tomorrow, but he forgets that when he goes home tonight, he's going to have frog fricassee because, because there were frogs in the dishes, right? There are frogs all over Egypt, and he misses this opportunity because he's thinking about other things. So he says, do it tomorrow. He says, tomorrow will be soon enough. Um, scholars tell us maybe he's, he's trying to be clever here, um, that what, what uh, Pharaoh is, is doing is he's saying, Moses showed up and threatened frogs. And then frogs arrived. And now Moses has showed up and said, I can get rid of the frogs. So maybe Pharaoh is thinking, ah, the frogs are about to go away on their own, and Moses is trying to get credit for it. So instead of saying right now, I will say tomorrow. So maybe he's being clever, but what he's doing is he's trading the opportunity to to be present in the moment, to have the frogs solved in order to either be clever or because he's worried about the pyramid or whatever else it is that's on his mind. Pharaoh is not present at this crisis, this frog crisis in the history of Egypt. So he says, he says, tomorrow. And Moses says, okay. And so Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs he'd inflicted um, on Pharaoh, and the Lord did just what Moses had predicted. But when Pharaoh saw that relief had, came, had come, he became stubborn. I like our translation actually is better. Um, when I first, the first time I ever read about Pharaoh's heart hardening, um, it was sometime in the 70s and people would talk, my next door neighbor, uh, Mr. Gwynn, um, he, uh, he, he had a hardening, hardening of the arteries. And so when I first heard hard, hard, hardened his heart, I was thinking Pharaoh got sick and had to go to the hospital. And so, so I, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't know what it used to mean a hundred years ago, but today that's kind of the first thought when I hear about uh, Pharaoh's heart hardening. So I like our translation says he became stubborn because that's what he did. Pharaoh decided, I don't have to deal with this. The frogs went away anyway. I, I promised that I would let the people go, but I'm not going to. He said, relief came and I'm not going to do anything about it. So, uh, what What is the application? What do we do with this? Well, the, the first application is we should not let disobedience harden into um, a habit. Uh, Pharaoh has already disobeyed twice. He didn't realize he was under God's authority. So we can forgive maybe one or two times, but this is becoming a habit. Every time God tells him to do something, every time God persuades him, he has his power to enforce it. Pharaoh doesn't do it. So he's allowing his disobedience to become a habit. And there's a lesson we can all take. If God is nagging at your heart, if God is telling you in your head, you really need to do something, 
Don't let your heart be stubborn. Go ahead and do it. Because there's a danger that disobedience will become habit. Later on, the the Israelites will say this about themselves. They'll say, we do this too. Uh, this is not just Pharaoh's thing. And so they, in the psalmist says, uh, today if you hear his heart, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So they're reminding themselves, this is a, something we're prone to do, that if we hear God talking today, we can say, no, how about tomorrow instead? So that's the first lesson. That's kind of a theological lesson. If God is telling you to do something, you should obey. But it's really broader than that because it's not just God. It's everybody you deal with. It's everything you deal with. Maybe telling you to stop and pay attention because this is important. This isn't going to happen again. So John Ortberg asked this question. He says, what, if you think, if you think it over, if you kind of close your eyes and just stop for a minute, what is the greatest moment in your life? What is the greatest moment in your life? <coughs> what Ortberg says is this moment is the greatest moment in your life because the past is gone and the future is just a murk of possibilities. You don't know anything about that. The greatest moment in your life is always right now. C.S. Lewis says even more. He says this. He says um, that humans live in time, but God destines them to live in eternity. And so he wants them to attend to chiefly, chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to the point in time which they call the present. For the present is the time, the point at which time touches eternity. Essentially, the, the moment that is closest to being like eternity is now. That in eternity, we don't think about the future and the past. Everything is a, is a current, is a present now. And I don't know what that's like, but that's where God dwells and that's where God wants us to dwell. God wants us to live in eternity, and the best training for living in eternity is living now. So, tomorrow is the most dangerous word, because it distracts us from now. So how do we do this? Well, step one is to put down the phone. And again, I'm not telling those instructions to people who come to the, the children's uh, world, because that's not my job, but... Um, but I'm your pastor, so I get to tell you this. So that's that's the relationship I have. <laughs> Put down the phone. And, you know, I, I so many of these sermons uh, the last couple of weeks have been this thing, you know, three fingers pointed back at me, you know. So um, I've been dealing with this a lot myself. Um, I have this bad habit, right? I've been tracking calories for a couple of years now, and I've had some success. But I get out my, my phone in the middle of the meal because I'm thinking, okay, what did I just eat? And I, and then when I get done with that, I say, well, why don't I check what's on Facebook? And by the way, let me see what's in the news and so forth. And what, what I need to do is say, you know what, I will still remember the meal after the meal is over. So don't bring the phone to the table. So don't bring the phone to the table. Don't bring, you know, don't have the phone out when you pick up your kids, um, at the preschool. Be present. Just be present. And maybe if you are picking up children or picking up grandchildren, you can learn from them. You know, Jesus is famous for having said uh, so many things. But among the many famous things Jesus said is, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like these little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And people have speculated, what all did he mean? But I think part of it is children live in the now so much better than, than adults. One of the things we lose as we grow up is we lose the ability to be present the way children are. So look at your kids and take a cue from them. And finally, trust God. You know, one of the things, you know, C.S. Lewis says that, says that, um, the, the present is most like eternity. I can't deal with a problem that's going to come to me tomorrow. There may be, there may be plans I need to make now about tomorrow, 
but I can't change anything tomorrow, right? I can only plan today for something that's happening tomorrow. I can't, I can't let tomorrow consume me. I can't let the, the future or for that matter, the past consume me. I must live in the present because that's the way I'm made. God is that way for all of time, right? That our prayers are addressed to God about that thing in the future that we can, we can say God can deal with the thing in the future because God lives in eternity. I can't. So if I've got a problem, one of the things I can do is I can say, you know, I'm just going to give that to God. We talked about that some last week. Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Sufficient unto the day in the old language, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That you've got plenty of problems today. Why would you borrow additional problems from tomorrow? Right? You know, now if you have no problems at all and you just are saying, you know, my life is perfect. I have so few problems. I want to get some from the future. Go, go right ahead. But Jesus is saying, you've got plenty of problems today. And so it is an act of faith. When we say, look, I can't do anything about tomorrow's problems. It's all I can do to deal with today's problems. Then it's an act of faith to say, you know, you know what? I know someone. I'm in a relationship with someone who can deal with tomorrow's problems because he lives in eternity. So I can give this to God. I can say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen when, when the, the, the situation resolves. But I know somebody who's looking at that right now. And in eternity, God can see that problem and resolve it, can act on our behalf now. And I can't because I'm mortal and I'm human. So it is an opportunity for us to trust God. So, so, uh, sufficient unto the day. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. You've got plenty today. And when society tells you that you should act like a computer and multitask, um, I, I found this ad 30 years ago, and I've kept it. I've loved this ad. It's an ad for a, for a um, backup company. Um, and they say, you know, when the frogs get into your server room, um, you, you, can, you can trust us because we make our backups properly or something. I don't remember what the name of the company was, but I just love that ad because it's what could possibly go wrong. The answer is, um, the answer is you could get frogs in your server room. Uh, but, but Jesus is telling us we don't have to live like people who have frogs in our server room. We don't have to be like Pharaoh. We don't have to have frogs in our bedroom and in our kitchen. We can live like people who are present now. And when, when the opportunity comes to get rid of the frogs in our lives, we don't have to say, you know what, I'll get to that tomorrow, but I've got something more important to do right now. I've got this phone, and I've got my Twitter, and I've got my Facebook, and I need to look at those right now, and I'll deal with the frogs. I'll deal with the childhood. I'll deal with the grandchildren tomorrow. Jesus says, we don't have to live that way. We can become people who live in the present. Let's be that people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... The, the scriptures for this silly story um, of frogs in the, the bedrooms and frogs in the kitchens. Um, but Lord, we, we realize that too often we are like Pharaoh. We, we have the opportunity to be present, um, to deal with a situation right now, and instead we say we'll do it tomorrow or the next day. We push out the things that are important into the future. So we can deal with trivialities today, Lord. Help us to put our priorities right. Help us to live in the present. Help us to deal with today's troubles today and uh, not borrow trouble from tomorrow. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.